Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to join you all again. It's a bit like coming home to get to preach to you here on this Sunday. Long ago, there was a man, and this man was called by God to preach to a people that were foreign to him. The Lord clearly instructed him. The Lord commanded this prophet to go out and to preach to this people. But this people, they did not know the Lord. And they were sinful, and they were wicked, and they were idolaters. This man knew that this nation was a threat to Israel, to the people of God, and he considered them to be his enemies. Because of these things, he did not want to obey God and preach to them, for he knew that God had a heart of compassion, and he wanted this people to be crushed instead of saved, where he knew God is a God of salvation. I invite you to turn with me to First Timothy chapter 2. As Gary was saying, I was meant to preach this sermon back in January, but as the providence of God were have it, would have it, we were snowed out. As they say, better late than never. It's wonderful to, to be back here with you all. I love looking out at faces of people who I know and love and who know and love me in return. And so thank you. It is an honor and a privilege. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Here we see God's heart for all people. In this passage, we get to glimpse at something great. We get a glimpse of who God is. The curtain gets peeled back and we get to peer into God's heart. Unlike the, the great and the powerful Oz, behind God's curtain is a much more glorious thing. All of Scripture that we read is here to reveal God to us, to show us the character of our Creator. But this passage is clearer in a clearer and deeper picture than most we will find in Scripture. 
like a zoo where where you could touch the lion if it wasn't for the thin pane of glass in the way. Here too we draw near to our God as his heart is revealed in these verses. Look at the the heart of this text in verse 3 and 4. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is God showing His heart. This here is the main idea of the passage. This is the the central hub of the wagon wheel that all the spokes radiate off of. God desires for all people everywhere to be saved. This is God's heart for the nations and for every member of every nation. That means that if you are a Christian, this verse should especially catch your attention. Here, your Savior, your God, is declaring before you the thing that He desires and the thing that pleases Him. Listen closely if you would want to make your father glad. And what a sweet thing it is when those we love make their desires and their expectations plain to us. I mean, we we all know what it's like to get into an argument about expectations that we never knew were there in the first place. But here God says clearly, what he expects and what he desires. And when his words are clear, we cannot help but follow. Our King and our Savior desires all people to be saved. This is his heart. And I encourage you to take that to heart this Sunday. To add to this, I want to take a minute or two to recall some other verses that help capture this aspect of God's heart for the nations, God's desire for all people to turn, to repent, and to draw near to Him. I think of Genesis 22, verse 18, where you have a a promise of blessing to all nations, as God says to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Here God lays out his desire through Abraham to bring blessing to all nations without distinction. Or in 1 Kings uh, chapter 8, verse 60, Solomon dictate, dedicates the temple and he declares that part of its purpose is to be so that all peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. Or Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, where Jesus is, is giving his great commission to the disciples establishing what the plan for his church is going to be. And he instructs them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And more and more we see God's heart for all people. 
He is a loving God that desires for sinners to stare down the consequences of their sin and to run to him for redemption. I love how 2 Peter 3.9 captures this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Do you realize that in God's delaying of the fulfillment of his promises, he is giving space and time that as many as possible might turn and repent and be counted among those who are saved by his grace. How he longs to bring the final consummation of all creation to bring those new heavens and those new earth. And yet he delays this beloved moment that he might get just a few more sinners into that kingdom. So every year that passes without the coming of Christ, we should see another message of God's love and patience to the world, desiring that everyone everywhere would come and repent. And if we were to to turn all the way to the end of the Bible, we would get the beautiful summary statement where God declares the glorious desire of his heart. In Revelation 7, 9, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And yet these are just a few verses in the Bible that show God's heart of love for all people. The word is clear. God loves his creation. He does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they would turn and repent. He longs for the image bearers that he has created to be redeemed. So when when we read this passage, we should see in it the heart of our God being displayed before us, a heart for all people. And so as we, we look deeper into what this, this passage means, we should understand that all here means two different things. Or we can think about it two ways to help us understand the depth of what is being talked about. All here, in one sense, means everyone without distinction. And it also means everyone without exception. God desires to save everyone without distinction. That means there is no category of people that you will meet who are unfit for the salvation of God. There is no group that is by nature cut off from access to the promises of God. If you, if you're going about in your life, it's, it's not even the guy who is who cuts you off on the road, he's fit for the promises of God. The the Satan worshiper, he is fit to repent and come to the promises of God. Even country fans. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. 
Everyone, without, without distinction, every category of person, God is looking for those whom he might redeem for his glory. So we must be careful to be diverse in our evangelism. To remember that there are elect in every category of people we meet. That all around the world, of every class, of every job, every social station, every nation and language, there are those whom Christ has died for to purchase for his own. And so we should be fervent in our evangelism to not just reach those whom we would normally come in contact with, but people who are so vastly different from us. Because God's heart is not narrow, but broad. Whenever we speak with someone, every time we have an opportunity to connect with a person, we need to remind ourselves that God desires them to be saved. We need to, to remind ourselves that, that the person we are talking to is someone that God has a heart for and longs for their salvation. And realizing this must bring a sense of urgency and meaning to every encounter that comes before us. We must see ourselves as tools of God being used to call people home. We must understand that God's heart is expansive. Our God is, is compassionate and He must be greatly compassionate if He saves people like us. Next time you look out at a big crowd of people, whether it's a football game or, or a concert or some event of some kind, realize that when God sees them, His desire is for each and every one of those people to turn and trust in Him. See God's heart for all people. While this passage doesn't address this issue, we do need to remember that there is a mystery here when it comes to the discussion of God's heart for all people. At least as far as I know and understand, it is not clear how exactly you square up God's heart for all people with his electing of only some to salvation. This is a mystery of which I haven't been able to, to understand exactly how these two things fit together. But we must remember as we come to mysteries like these that God is infinitely greater than we are. We cannot understand all that he does and we should not be surprised when there are aspects of how he functions that are beyond our comprehension. I think about how children often don't understand how discipline can be loving. To them it seems like a contradiction. If, if you would love me, why would you punish me? Why would you take away the things that make me happy? Why would you spank me? I don't understand how these two can fit together. And yet, 
as adults, we see the perfect sense behind it. That discipline and love meet together wonderfully. So too, when we can't understand this, these truths and how they fit together, we need to understand that God is greater than us and His understanding goes deeper than ours does. So while we, we live with this mystery, we must hold two truths in our mind. We cannot understand and fathom the depths of God, but He gives us truths to know and understand to keep us from becoming off-balanced or off-kilter. On one hand, we need to understand very really that God desires all people to be saved. We must reject any interpretation of Scripture that presents God as uncaring about the salvation of His creation. We must reject any understanding of Scripture that sees God as not having a heart for every sinner to turn and to repent. God loves His creation and He desires that they turn to Him. Yet on the other hand, we must always remain clear that God chooses whom he will save. That he has his very own people chosen before the foundation of the world, elect according to his will. And he does this entirely based off of his own sovereign choice. For more about this, this idea of God's um, electing love, I encourage you to go back to the website and, and listen to the sermon that was preached on God's unconditional election. But ultimately, we must understand that nothing prevents God from saving except for His own will and His own sovereign choice. God is not longing to save sinners and powerless to change their minds. But God saves whom he will save. And he saves all of those that he chooses. This means that there really will be people in hell. And there really will be people in heaven. And ultimately, that will be determined by his sovereign choice. So we must reject any idea that teaches that, that God will save everyone but we must hold these two truths to keep us from becoming off balance. May God help us to hold his truths above our own understanding. So circling back, we, we, might, we want to understand that this view of God's heart is a wonderful thing. We should stop and meditate on it often. We should think about God's love for his creation until we stand in awe at how merciful he is. We are sinful. We are wretched. There is nothing about us that is appealing. We have all turned aside. Together we have become worthless. And yet he reaches out in love for us. 
Consider also that, that God has more of a heart for people's salvation than you do. When you are speaking to people and you're longing for them to come to Christ, know that God's longing goes even deeper, that He loves them and desires for them to repent and turn. Consider these things. Consider the loving heart of God. But we must not stop there with looking at at God's heart. We must realize that we aren't just to sit and meditate and enjoy the character of God, but to conform ourselves to it, to change our own hearts, our own affections, to align with God and His perfect loving affections. There is a, a powerful connection between God's heart and ours, between God's desires and how we should live. If we have a heart that matches God's heart, we ought to pray for all people. Look at verse 1 of this section. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Paul says, first of all then, I urge. Paul is here starting the body of his letter. He is laying out the path where he will begin to, to instruct as to how the church should operate. And he puts prayer in a primary spot. First of all then, I urge. We must show a heart that is like our Father's. Our prayers should reflect a desire for all people to be saved. So we must work to cultivate a diverse prayer life. We should work hard to make sure that our prayers do not cover just a narrow band of people who we are close with but that they are expansive and far-reaching, just as God's desires are. I suggest taking advantage of things like the news, or I appreciate uh, Al Mohler's podcast, The Briefing, which gives you updates about things that are going on around the world. Use these things to help expand the categories of your prayer to help you consider peoples and groups that you might never have prayed for before. Work hard to think of categories of people that that you rarely see or you rarely come in contact with and pray for them. I suggest that you keep some form of, of notes when you do this. It's going to be very difficult to manage a wide prayer list well unless you are writing it down to help you consider those people who we are quick to forget. Make sure, too, that that your prayer covers many different categories. Pray for churches by name, if possible. Pray for churches that are in this town. Look up and pray for churches in the state in the country and all over the world. 
Work hard to expand your heart of prayer far beyond the borders of your narrow life and experience. Pray for different towns. Pray for different races. For people who have different hobbies and interests to you, different cultures. Pray many different categories so that your heart might be tuned to love people from all over. Pray many different types of prayers as well. Paul here lists, you know, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Pray for for good things on the behalf of others. I think that even for our enemies... When we're praying for our enemies, it can be hard to think of what we ought to pray and the categories of things that that we should, should pray for them for. And so one of the things I suggest that you do is you look at the things you pray for your family the ways you pray for your your family's prosperity, for their health, for their faith, for their comfort. And pray those things even for your enemies, even for people who your heart does not move easily towards. Thank God for these different groups of people. Pray and thank God for for the rich and the poor alike. Pray and thank God for the work that he does in Democrat and Republican, in black and white, in rich and poor, the the people all over the world. And when your prayers are expansive like this, it is a sign that God has planted in you a heart like his own heart. Listen to the words that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 45. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Consider too why this expansive prayer is so important. Praying for people is one of the best ways that we can show love for them. As we take our time and our focus and we devote it to going before the throne of God on the behalf even of people that we have never met, we show forth our love like God's love. And those who pray a lot tend to work a lot as well. Those who pray with a love for all people will live out a life full of love for all people. As you labor in your prayers to remember all of the people that God has a heart for, your heart will be tuned 
so that when you meet people from different walks of life and different circumstances, your heart will be quicker to be moved to love and compassion for them and to a desire for their salvation. So pray for all people. But Paul moves on to to sharpen this this point of prayer into a focus on authorities. When we are praying for all people, we should have an extra focus on praying for authorities as well. Paul instructs us to pray for kings and all who are in high positions. That means that we should pray for governments all around the world, at home and abroad, good countries and bad. We should make sure that our prayer life covers the rulers all over the world. We should also pray for, for lower levels of authorities as well. Pray for federal, for state, for local. Pray for school boards and pray for workplaces. And pray especially for the HR departments. (laughs) Pray for your boss, even if he makes your job worse. Tune your heart to desire their salvation and their prosperity in the same way that God does. I promise that that God knows the sins of these people more than you ever will. And yet still his desire is that they would turn and repent. Do not let what anyone has done against you to be a hindrance in your heart of loving and praying for them. But why does Paul take this time to to emphasize praying for rulers and authorities? Well, we see in verse 3 that he continues and says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is something that, that we should pray for when we pray for leaders. We should pray that that leaders, that government officials, that rulers would allow us to preach the gospel freely. We should pray that that they would use their position and power to establish the sort of peace that allows the gospel to go forward freely and unhindered. We should pray with a heart that wants these rulers to make it easy for the gospel to go unfettered to every person in every place. And this reflects God's desire that all people would be saved. But praying for leaders also makes leaders more likely to be friendly and accommodating to Christians. This is one of the other purposes that Paul is getting at. The idea that if we are careful to remember those in charge in our prayers, it shows that we are not contrary to order, contrary to the establishment, but people with good will and good intentions. This means <clears throat> that part of 
the purpose of our prayer for authorities is to show that our kingdom is not of this world. That we are not here to subvert the organizations and establishments here, but we long for a heavenly kingdom that will come in the life to come. Keep in mind, too, this means that that one of our biggest priorities when it comes to thinking about government is making sure that they make decisions that allow the gospel to go forth freely. There are many things that that come up on ballots that are arguments and debates in the political sphere. And many of these things we should be willing to tolerate if it allows us to focus all the more on having gospel opportunities from bad tax plans to bad social safety nets, we must be careful to remember that government policy is not here to save us. Only God can. Only Christ can. So we should put our hope in working to make the government allow the gospel to continue to go forth freely and de-emphasize pointless arguments that undermine our ability to focus on the gospel. And we hope that by showing goodwill in our prayers for leaders and authorities, that they will continue in what ways they do to give us leniency to preach and proclaim the gospel openly before all people. But it does remind me that there are lots of things that we ought to consider when we consider how believers should interact with the government. So I want to give you a, a handful of, of biblical ideas and perspectives that should shape how we think in, about and interact with government. First of all, it's important to point out that governments back then and governments now are distinctly different. Paul is speaking about people who live in a time where things are ruled by governors with fairly absolute power or kings and monarchs. And these things function very differently than democracies. In that time you had very little power to affect the course that a country was going. Even passionate public discussion and debate had very little hope of shaping government policy. And so this meant that that being critical of ruling authorities was oftentimes only just a good way to incite persecution against uh, against Christians. And oftentimes, public criticism of government officials was a bad way to affect any change. Whereas in our current political environment, in a democracy, honest critique is an important part of civic engagement. We should be careful to be respectful when we speak about the government, but we should understand that... (coughs) the proper behavior and tone when speaking about government in that time and in this time 
varies drastically because of the different governments. We also must remember as we try to pray and establish a heart of goodwill towards the government that the government is not our friend. These are human institutions run by sinful men and it should not be surprising when they hate Christians for being Christians. This passage is not advocating for Christians to be suck-ups to political power, bowing to the whims of, of the government on every issue, just in hopes of remaining the favorite child. But sometimes it is necessary for the believer to stridently oppose the government, even if there is little hope of changing the course and direction that it's going. From John the Baptist to John MacArthur, there can be good reasons for believers to take actions that displease the state. So it's important to remember that there are still right times to oppose government action, even while we maintain a desire to be favored in the government's eyes that we might keep preaching the gospel. We should evaluate every circumstance, weighing the importance of the truth and the desire to have opportunities to preach the gospel to all people. And while this, this third thought is <clears throat> less clearly derived from Scripture, my personal impression is that believers should be involved in politics more, but should waste less time arguing about them. More Christians should take advantage of opportunities to influence and participate in government, but also more Christians should abandon wasting fruitless hours and contention on political arguments that accomplish nothing. And the church and the world would be better served by a dedication to winning souls for Christ. Moving back to Paul's instruction to prayer, I want to point out that our motivation is, a pl is the pleasure of God. Our motivation to pray for all people is a desire to please our Father and to be of a united heart with Him and a desire for all people. Look at verse 4 again. Uh, verse 3, sorry. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. To drive home the importance of this task of praying for all people we must remember that God has marked it as good and has declared it as pleasing to himself when you pray for people in the world. Does your heart desire to make your father happy? Do you long to satisfy your Savior with the goodness of your actions? Then live out God's heart for the nations. Pray for all people. 
consider deeply what you might do to win souls from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Part of the way we do this is by thinking richly and clearly about missions. Whether you're sending or whether you're going, part of the way that that the gospel is brought to all people is by preachers of the gospel being going out to other nations who do not have the truth that we have access to. And so think deeply about how you might please your father with your finances, with your time, and especially with your prayer life. Please him with a heart of love for all people. I mean, ask yourself, do you pray like you should? Does a desire to share the gospel burn beneath the surface of your conversations? Do you feel the urgency when you are talking to sinners who have not trusted in Christ? Imagine that your father is standing there and you know the thing that would please him would be that they turned and repented. Long to be commended before the sight of your father by doing well to preach the gospel. We are talking about the only God. There is one God for all people in the world. And there is only one person who can save all eight billion image bearers that live today. See, Paul connects God's heart for the world to the reality that there is only one almighty God. Look at what he says in in verse 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is no other. There is no substitute relationship that anyone in the world can use to fill in this relationship. There is only one way for mankind to be reconciled with their Creator, and that is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Only Christ can bring peace between sinners and their holy Creator. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 speaks of Christ and says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on heaven, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. This is the man we preach. Christ's heart for all people was laid bare on that cross. He shed his blood and he showed his love for all mankind. He died so that any person anywhere could come by faith and be ransomed. This is what Paul says. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. 
This is the testimony of God's heart of love for the world, that he sent his son to die on behalf of sinful man. As John 3.16 presents it so clearly, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is the all that Jesus died to ransom. The whosoever that believes in him. He died so that anyone without exception could repent and have their sins borne away by him. This is the heart of God for all people. And this heart is the very reason why we here today are saved. If it was not for a God with love so unbounded, so expansive, we would have no hope. We are strangers to the love of God. By right, we have no access to it. Yet because it pleased God to save people from all walks of life, from all categories, we here today have gained access by by faith into this grace in which we stand. In closing, I want to remember earlier what I spoke of. In case you couldn't tell, I was speaking of Jonah the prophet, how he was called to preach to a a foreign nation But he could not bear how God would have mercy and a heart of love for such a sinful and rebellious people. And because he could not bear God's heart of mercy, he shrank back from the clear instructions and commandments of God. He counted the people of Nineveh as enemies, but God counted them as objects for his mercy. Might we not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, by our own pride into thinking that we are somehow more worthy of salvation than anyone else? Oh, I pray that God would would move in our hearts to produce such humility that we would realize that all people deserve, that all people Sorry. We we should realize in humility that we do not deserve salvation any more than anyone else. Let us close in prayer. May the Holy Spirit guard our heart against the folly of Jonah. May we be struck so soundly by the magnitude of the love of God that we would pour out love on others, especially through faithfulness and prayer. And might we today, as we we gather for the Lord's Supper, be struck to remember that if it was not for such free and gracious love, we would have no hope, dead people alienated from the promises of God. We pray all these things in our Savior's name. Amen.